everybody. Welcome to Thrill Seekers. We are part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And as a reminder, this episode with Jennifer Kinchelow and all other episodes of Thrill Seekers are available at www.alexdolan.com. Again, that's www.alexdolan.com. Uh, I'm Alex Dolan, and I am really happy to welcome back to the show Jennifer Kinchelow to talk about uh, her new book, The Body in Griffith Park. Uh, Jennifer, thanks for coming on the show again. Thank you, Alex. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. So uh, this is the third book in the Anna Blanc series. Um, I uh, We've talked about the, the first book when you first came on board, but to catch everybody up, um, can you remind us, you know, just what what the series is about and how you uh and what this third book and installation is about yeah so um it's set in 1900s los angeles among the police matrons of the lapd and it's set you know in central station where a lot of uh, la noir books are set but just much earlier, and uh, it's been described as I Love Lucy meets Agatha Christie, so it's a mystery with a little humor and romance, and um, and the lead character, Anna Block, is a socialite, a very sheltered um, young woman with a chaperone who, in the first novel, buys off her chaperone and gets a job as a police matron with the LAPD. So it's kind of tracking her liberation. Um, book two is set in Chinatown, in Los Angeles's Chinatown, and all of the interesting things that happened there. It was the most dangerous beat of the city um, because all of the crime, uh, um, sorry, all of the gambling and prostitution was zoned into the area where the Chinese lived and um, they didn't have a ch choice where they lived. So that's, um, all, that's based on a true story about a 19-year-old um, white missionary woman to Chinatown who was found, her body was found in the trunk, in a trunk in the apartment of her Chinese lover. So that is centered around that story. Um, and then book three is, <laughs> as, as you and I were talking off air, there's so many like surprises early on. It's hard to talk about it, but it's about a body of a young gambler found in Griffith Park. And there's a mysterious man in the book who starts sending Anna flowers uh, in the language of flowers, which was sort of a, a Victorian thing that Anna would have grown up with. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and we're talking about the body in Griffith Park. Um, well, let's start with that. Like you talk about the language of flowers, and I thought that, that was one of the, the one of the really interesting threads. Um, talk about that, and kind of in the in the parlance of uh, Victorian Edwardian America, like what what that would mean. So there was a there was there was a book that was published in the late nineteenth century, I think, um, that I got my hands on, um, and it's a dictionary of sorts of what the different flowers stand for. So, so that fascinated me, and I thought that's something Anna would have grown up with. Um, someone would send, you know, a bouquet to a lover with certain flowers represented and, 
or to a friend or to a loved one with different flowers represented and each flower represented a different sentiment. So, um, I wish I, I wish I could remember them all up the top of <laughs> well, my head. Like for, is this where we get things like lilies being a part of death and funerals? Is that, is that where kind of, is that where the stuff comes from? Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, they, they stand for all kinds of things, fraternal love, romantic love, a desire for the return of affection. I think that's what, um, the jungle, which is a daffodil, and that plays very heavily a, a big role in the book, the jonquil apartments, which are his, historical apartments that had um, uh, were involved in a scandal involving underage girls. So, um, you know, that's an example of a of the flower, the jonquil, the daffodil is on the cover um, of a theme in the book, and and um, and of course we have red roses for love, right? Even today and yellow roses for friendship. And um, yeah, so we still have a little bit of that lingering language of flowers, but we're not into it the way the Victorians were into it. <laughs> and uh, I'll, post, I'll post the book on my website so people can see it. Um, yeah. See what the different flowers meant. Well, also, so uh, let's talk about the Jonquil apartments. And and one of the things that you're, so these are apartments that were involved in the scandal. And um, one of the things that you, you kind of, you, you paint a really good picture. This is one of the things I love about the series is that you, you, you take us hundred years back and, and give a sense of what Los Angeles would have been like back then. Um, but um some of the action takes place in kind of like a house that could be a brothel or could be a social club, but the lines are sort of blurred a little bit. And um, is, was that something, it, it reminded me that um, in San Francisco, there was around, around the same time or a little earlier, there, there was this, a same dynamic where, there's a woman named Mary Ellen Pleasant who ran a lot of houses and senators and, and business people would frequent them. And so they were legitimate social houses, but she would also fix up these people with girls that she hired. Um, And so I didn't, you know, was the dynamic like that where you could just go to these places for lunch and have it be legitimate or, and you wouldn't necessarily be going for sex. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a there was a fine line, you know. Um, this this was an apartment house for for um, working girls, and and some of the women that worked there historically, because it's a real place. You know, one of them wrote for for the movies, and you know, others did other things where they were professional girls, and some of the girls were pretty young and um and it was kind of like men would come there and they'd have lunch and they'd get introduced to a girl or a young woman who would be their mistress and um and the black pearl is sort of a nefarious figure in book three in the body in griffith park and um he was real and um, he would go there twice a day but then you know young woman young men would wealthy men would come in to meet girls and um there was a lot of 
of sort of um, introductions going on, but it was illegal. And um, the actual scandal happened just like five years later. And um, then it then happens in my book. And at that time they were calling it white slavery. So um, when the Black Pearl got put up on charges, you know, it was for white slavery. And just as a reminder to folks listening, like to give people some context, um, I'll, I'll initially frame this because I, I don't I don't know much about what Los Angeles was like, but I, uh, in that time, but I kind of know a little bit of what San Francisco was like, and I know that like if you go back to photos of the San Francisco Bay Area in early 1900s, there was almost nothing there. <laughs> there was, you know, so I can see this kind of dynamic playing out where it wasn't, this was not an established city the way, or at least San Francisco wasn't, in the way that like New York would have been or Philadelphia or Boston. This was very much still being built up. And, and um, you know, I, I, I assume LA was kind of like that where it was not, not at all what we know LA to be like now, but it was really very much new and developing. Yeah, I have this fantastic map of 1909 Los Angeles, and um, I got it from Library of Congress, and I blew it up really big so I could hang it on my wall, but it's got, like, the names of the different businesses, all of the streets, and all of the buildings, and, you know, this one was a brewery, and this one was a, you know, apartment complex, and I even, like, to, oh, here's where Central Station was. So Anna lives in the streeter apartments over here. And so you can see um, see exactly how it was. And there was like a downtown and then it goes out and it's, you know, it goes out into fields and Hollywood was all agricultural at that time. And, and there'd be houses and then big spots of fields and, and orchards and, so yes, not at all like it is today. Right. Not so, a no, crawling well, city. So let's let's look at where Anna Blank would. So what neighborhood is Anna Blank living in? So I have her on the. I have her living in the Streeter apartments on First Street, and I have them as an apartment for ladies. And you know, back then men weren't allowed in. And uh, it's an apartment for ladies of good reputation. So, um, so Anna has to pay extra because she's kind of created a little scandal in the papers with some of her sleuthing um, in the brothels and uh, her sort of fall from grace because she starts out as this protected socialite and then she ends up solving crimes in LA's underbelly. But anyway, she lives in this apartment for young ladies and, and, you know, men aren't allowed and lo young ladies aren't allowed in men's apart, single men's apartments. And, um, yeah, but she can well, take the trolley to work. And so, uh, well, in what neighborhood would that be now? Oh, uh, on first, first street, um, just kind of, uh, east of bunker hill, uh, guy not east of course la's all turned around it's so much easier to figure it out in denver um just down from the financial district okay 
All right. So, you know, if you know where, uh, so if you're standing at um, Angel's Flight looking out, so you would be looking out towards where Anna would have lived. And, and remind me to, and I, it's, I love kind of unpacking the details of this, but you, you clearly did a lot, a lot of research to be able to accurately portray the era and the town, um, which is always something that fascinates me about, about period books, because to get the language down, to get the characters, to get, you know, everything right, like you really need to know the era. And what did you do to, to do the research on this? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I got a lot of crime stories from the newspaper. I learned about the police from the newspaper. I learned about the police matrons because there would be articles written about them or articles written by them. And um, everything everything from the want ads, like how much does an apartment cost? How much does a pair of shoes cost? What kind of jobs were available for women? And, um, you know, how did women get jobs? And what what were some of the progressive ladies clubs doing um, about prostitution, about changing the, you know, the machine and all of those kinds of things uh, came from the paper. I read it, some textbooks about um, the progressive era too, but I read uh, memoirs of prostitutes and eyewitness accounts of the riots in Chinatown. And um, I read court transcripts. I read cookbooks, books on underwear. I read books on how to do laundry. I, I read a lot of novels that were written in the 1900s for slang and mores and just um, textbooks for coroners written in the era. So I knew kind of what well, what's crime scene investigation like? Like what was the cutting edge crime scene investigation like? And, and I got that from a lot of materials from the era as a, a lot of primary sources instead of reading about what other people wrote about it. Because frankly, there, there's not a lot written about this time in L.A. Uh, I read one uh, dissertation that was interesting, useful. I don't know anything, anything I could get my hands on. <laughs> no, I mean, there, there's well, and there are several reasons that I really love this series with Anna Blank, and and one is, um, one is the. I mean, I'm really. It's so. It's rare that I read um, historical fiction that really captures the era for me and this really does kind of transport me back and it's and so for and for people listening like this is just a really it's like you know for me it was just like taking a time machine back and it you know you don't have to be uh somebody who's really interested in california it's just the idea of being transported a century back when crime scene investigation was was kind of new we didn't have what we have now and um, especially like this is a nod to the the first female detective in the United States who um, was you know the, so you get a sense of what it would be like to be kind of the, the first woman to do all this stuff and yeah. um, and and so there, there's that and then I also really love just Anna Blank like like she's just like a great character and and she's 
like if you weave a lot of humor into this and over the arc of the books you start to see like how she's how she's developed she's like you know she's kind of fallen out with her father a little bit in this book and she um she's kind of has a has a new newish uh love interest that um that you explore in the book and um i like i like seeing how she's growing over this yeah anna anna has a lot of room to grow and when i first wrote the book uh when i first wrote it out as a screenplay i was trying to write a character who was like alice stebbins wells who was the first female cop in la and she became a cop in 1910 and i'm writing this screenplay and Anna Blanc is coming out, you know, and Anna Blanc is not like Alice Steppenwells. And I couldn't imagine anyone making Anna a cop, right? Cause she's, she's so young and she's so naive and she's so immature and, and yet she's brilliant. So, um, so I made her a police matron, uh, in, which was how the women cops started. They became, uh, they got, got their full police powers after be, being a police matron. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I, ha, she kind of wrote herself and, um, and, and she has a lot of room to grow before she becomes a, a full fledged cop with police powers. Cause she's 19, you know, she's 19 years old. Well, and yeah. And to give people so, some perspective without like giving away any spoilers, like she's the kind of character who, whose family owns their own train car and she would hook it up to a commercial train to go, to go on a trip, <laughs> which I honestly didn't realize people even did. Um, the idea that you would kind of have your own, um, your your own car <laughs> that would go on a train and they were so luxurious they were unbelievable they were you know they had fireplaces and and clawfoot bathtubs and you know they were lavish so um yeah anna had a uh, in some ways her upbringing was incredibly privileged but she was also sheltered and controlled and and didn't have a lot of love growing up so it's interesting to see her transition from this naive spoiled sheltered girl to this young woman who's who's advocating for women and 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 solving crimes well and also advocating for women and solving crimes in areas that had she stayed on the privileged path, she probably would never have gone to. Absolutely. She would never go to Chinatown like that, or she would never have like gone into inside brothels. And so in a way it's like taking her outside of her, her comfort zone that she's grown up with. Right. Um, so one of the other things that um, I'm interested in, um, so you started this out as a screenplay, like how, but you've, you have, so there's The Secret Life of Anna Blank, there's the second book is The Body of, Body in the Camphor Trunk, and this woman is... In the, the Woman in the Camphor Trunk. I'm my, my mistake, okay, sorry, The Woman in the Camphor Trunk, and that's the one that takes place in Chinatown, and, uh, and this is The Body in Griffith Park, and why did you choose The Body in Griffith Park to, to try to adapt to a screenplay first? 
Oh no, actually, I I I started out um, writing the series. The first thing I wrote was a screenplay of oh, the first okay, book, yeah. the okay. Secret Life of Anna Blanc. So that's the first thing I wrote a screenplay, and then I adapted it into the novel. And honestly, I was completely new at writing. Like I I had written the only thing I'd ever written before was another screenplay, which was really bad. And then I wrote a second screenplay, which is The Secret Life of Anna Blanc. And then I, then I wrote it into a novel. So um, the screenplay's really bad, <laughs> but, um, but, but it's, it was how I got, you know, part of my process of thinking through this novel and developing the character and structure. And so it was important, but, um, yeah. So well, looking back, and, what, what do you feel like the difference was between writing as a, in a screenplay format versus a novel? Well, so when you're writing historical fiction, you're world building and you don't have that visual, the benefit of the visual that you have in film or television. So you have to describe things. Whereas if you're writing a screenplay, you just go, you know, a fancy hotel. But if you're writing a novel, you have to say, you know, the mission in Spanish revival, hundreds of bells, red dial roof, Logan Bia, you know, so there's that. So you have the challenge of being very, um, concise in writing a screenplay and, um, and it's, but you have, you have, it has, it's a visual, but so much of that comes from the director and, and that team. So you're, when you're writing a screenplay, you're just part of a team. And when you're writing a novel, you're the whole, you're the whole thing. You're responsible for conveying how a character says their lines and what the reader envisions. So it's different. It's, it's different. Well, it sounds like in a way, um, from how you're describing it, the writing the book kind of gives you a deeper sense of the world that you're building. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Writing the writing the screenplay helped me with structure because screenplays are very structured and you have to outline and and do it according to a formula. All screenplays are like that. And then writing a book, you have more freedom, but that provided sort of the structure for me that made the books very cinematic, I think. So, um, but just rewriting it, just, I know the characters so well that it's, um, I don't, I don't know how people switch people who write standalones and crank them out a one a year. It, they amaze me because the, uh, it t take a, took a lot to develop her character. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's also, let's zero in on Griffith Park. And um, so talk, for people that aren't from LA, talk about the park, what it was then, what it's transformed into now. Um, yeah, and, and why you chose that as kind of the, center, the setting for the, the central crime. So, okay, Griffith Park, uh, used to be a big ranch owned by, oh, what's his name? Don Antonio. 
oh, I'm forgetting his name right now. But let's just call him Don Antonio. That's a first, his first name. And he lived there with his, his uh, niece, Petronia, and his housekeeper. Big, big ranch. And this was mid-19th century. And uh, when he was dying, a politician came with a lawyer and uh, to rewrite his will. And they, legend has it, they tied a stick to his head so that they could force him to nod to agree to the provisions of the will. And of course, the will left everything to the politician, nothing to the niece Petronia, who was supposed to be the heir. So Petronia, so legend says, uh, cursed the land and everyone who profited from it and then dropped dead. And uh, she went on to haunt the park along with uh, Don Antonio. So um, the politician gave the park to, or gave the, the land for the park to the lawyer. Uh, the lawyer, I think he was shot when he was uh, signing a contract to, for water rights. Um, there was disease and death and destruction that just followed in the wake. And people passed this land around like a hot potato. And the last one was Griffith. And he, uh, while, so while he owned it, there was this lightning storm and this flash flood that came and people who were witnesses saw the ghost of Don Antonio surfing this wave down the mountain, cackling. Anyway, it wiped out the ranch. And so Griffith, J. Griffith was like, I'm getting rid of this. And he donated it to the city. And no one would go there at night. And and then there have been misfortunes, um, you know, across time and people who have said they've seen the ghost of Petronia and Don Antonio. So that's Griffith Park. It's something like 4,000, over 4,000 acres. It's a huge, huge park in the middle of LA. Um, it's where the Hollywood sign is. You can go hiking, you could go horseback riding there. There's a zoo there, there's an observatory, there's the Greek theater. It's like an outdoor amphitheater where you can go hear music. Um, so I, I love that park. I thought it would be interesting to introduce the curse and have Anna do battle with Petronia. So, um, uh, and I, I would imagine yeah. like a lot of people that, that aren't familiar with Los Angeles. If you, if you Google Griffith observatory, it's something that gets used a lot in TV and films. And oh, yeah. there's a, like a really famous observatory and has this beautiful sweeping view of Los Angeles. And that's kind of what, um, you know, that, that's sort of the modern incarnation of this. Um, Back when this was, um, back in, in the 1910s, though, is would this have been a dangerous area inherently? It would have been a wilderness. And um, interesting, the 1900s were considered the golden age, golden age of hiking. So there was a lot of hiking going on. Um, but it was very wild. The park was very wild. It was before um, the zoo wasn't there yet. The observatory, I think, was there, the old one. But, um, yeah, and, and because it was in the center of L.A., it was, it was where people would go for their outdoor experience. Was this kind of like the equivalent of the – was this kind of like the Central Park of Los Angeles? 
Yes, except for it's wilder. It's it's you know and hillier it's hill, hills and, yeah. and and chaparral. You know the the it's sage and and you know. But it's based oh, on the people that would have people would have gone there to reclaim their sanity from having lived in the city for the rest of the week. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Okay. Um. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I like, that's the thing that when I, when I read the series that I always like wonder, cause Anna Blanc is, is sort of by, by her own choice of, of profession going into places that are more dangerous in LA. Um, and I kind of wondered this about, about California is that with, you know, in, in a way, it still very much was kind of the wild west at this time. Like it, it was developed, yeah. but like it wasn't really a pioneering town, but it wasn't a fully developed city. So there, the laws in California were a little looser. Enforcement wasn't, <laughs> police enforcement wasn't quite there. Right. Um, but at the same time, like it's, it didn't have the kind of crime that comes with overpopulation and urban congestion where just like you have like, places that just get overrun by people and so it just becomes like dangerous at night um and the, 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 the thing about la is so in the 19th century a lot uh, it was disproportionately men and and it had the highest murder rate in the history of our country by far interesting it was the most dangerous yeah, I mean, it was just a bloodbath. You were pretty much likely to die of murder there. It was just a, it was just insane. Um, and they were trying to civilize. They wanted to be Chicago. You know, they wanted to. They had, they had opera houses, and they had. <laughs> I, I love the know, fact that LA's <laughs> aspiration was to be as civilized as Chicago. At the I know, time. isn't that hilarious? <laughs> um, but. So, so yeah, but it was still very wild west, you know, it wasn't, if, if you were a Chinese, for example, you know, if someone killed you and, and I don't think they started even recording murders of Chinese Americans until 1900s. Like it was really, like you said, uncivilized and, um, and, uh, but today, so I put a body in Griffith Park. If you Google body in Griffith Park, you will. We'll just get Google hits because it is the body <laughs> dumping ground for serial killers in Los Angeles. Like there are, you know, oh, we found a head by the Hollywood sign. Like it is just, it happens all the time. Like it's so, almost rude um, not to put a body in Griffith Park. <laughs> <laughs> if you're, but I, I, in some like, and again, like I'm, I'm trying to give people listening like more con. This is great. Cause I'm, I'm, like I, it just fascinates me. Like what LA was like back then. And, but and to give people listening even like context from Northern California, um, the China, the equivalent of Chinatown in San Francisco, uh, in 1900, had an outbreak of the bubonic plague. <laughs> That's how far behind we were to the from the rest of civilization. Like there was right. actually bubonic plague in Chinatown in San Francisco at the turn of the century. That's um, right. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh so but in, but in some ways like like LA had the best streetcar system 
in possibly the world. And they were the first city in the United States to have electric lights. Interesting. Um, so LA has always been forward looking. And I mean, I think they, they're always, look, they've always been looking to the future. They've always been like, even back in the 1900s thinking of themselves as very cut, cutting edge, very modern. So, so it was this tension, right? They were really coming out of chaos and in trying to look to the future. So at the, at that time, what would the governing industry have been like it? Cause clearly the entertainment industry hadn't even started yet for the most part, but we'll, like, oil. oil, oil. Okay. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So they had a, there was an oil boom. So, and in between 1900 and 1910, the population tripled. And so most people in LA were from somewhere else. And so like today, you know, um, <laughs> so people came from all over to make their fortune in, in the oil boom. Um, and of course the, uh, there was agriculture, um, citrus was big money, and a lot of people from back out east invested their money in citrus groves, and they'd take them on the fruit on the train back back east. Um, yeah, so agriculture and oil, fishing. Okay. Interesting. Well, I definitely, I love the series. And uh, again, just to remind everybody, we're talking to Jennifer Kinchelow for the book, The Body in Griffith Park. This is the third book in the Anna Blanc series, which if you need to catch up, you can start with The Secret Life of Anna Blanc. Uh, I'm going to do a, a quick break here to remind everybody you are listening to Thrill Seekers Radio. We are part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This is a trademark copyrighted podcast solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. Okay, so we are... Um, we're very lucky to be joined by Jennifer Kinchelow, and she's going to read a little bit uh, as we close out a little bit of The Body in Griffith Park. So I want to set the stage. Anna, um, Anna has gone to Griffith Park to be alone with her secret fiance, Detective Joe Singer. And they have climbed up to the most romantic spot in the park, and they're having like a little lover's tryst. And um, I'm gonna start there. The wind rose suddenly, carrying with it an ungodly odor. Joe lifted his head. What is that smell? Anna smelled it too. She gagged a little at the scent, like rotting pork in a sweet sauce. He groaned. I'm finally alone with the girl of my dreams and some creature decides to die in the most romantic spot in the park. It's probably a possum. Can't you find it and fling it off the hill with a stick? Anna slid off Joe so that he could stand. His hair poked out in odd directions from Anna's caressing fingers, but he still looked good enough to eat. And the front of his drawers was cooching out most interestingly. She was starting to see the shape of things. Anna rose gracefully in her drawers and chemise, stuffed her feet into unhooked boots and took his hand. She wasn't going to miss one moment of touch again, stench or no. They turned in a circle, sniffing the air. It must be upwind. Joe licked his finger and held it up. 
then tugged her towards the edge of the hillside in a panoramic view of the city below. Anna saw a trail of ants marching in a row and followed them. There near the edge, she saw the source of the smell. A dead man lay on his side with a hole in his head. His hair and face were covered with ants as if they found whatever oil his barber used particularly delectable. A revolver lay in his limp open hand. Los Angeles spread out before him. Jupiter, a deado, said Anna. It's the curse. Holy hell. You think somebody corpsed him? Joe moved closer. I don't know. Anna noted that Joe's underwear no longer pooched out so dramatically. Her own skin had grown suddenly cold. This dead man was killing the mood. Petronia had foiled her lovemaking with Joe Singer after all, something she'd ached for since he first kissed her on a police sting operation last summer. She didn't know when they'd get a chance again, but there was nothing in the world she loved more than spooning Joe Singer. There was one thing she loved just as much, catching killers. Nice. I loved that scene when I read it. (laughs) (laughs) Um. All right. So uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I, everyone should go out, read the book, start with The Secret Life of Anna Blanc first if you, if you want to get into the series. Um, and this book is The Body in Griffith Park. And uh, Jennifer, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Alex. <laughs>